Welcome to This Week in the 90s, brought to you by Alive and Kicking, the original 90s football podcast. On this week's show, there's double up for Liverpool as they get joint managers. There's four for Brazil as we go back to US 94, the last of our World Cup nostalgia, and eight past Spurs. Yeah, the story of the 1995 Intertoto Cup. Oh yeah, some details on this week's show. All that and lots more to come on This Week in the 90s. Hello. This is Luis Amor Rodriguez, and you are listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, okay? Now, where is Linda? Thank you very much for downloading this week's show. It's a pleasure to have you with us. How is everyone feeling? Deflated? Empty? I mean, it's 2018. I know we keep it 90s, but I think we're all feeling a little bit low today with no World Cup. It's a bit empty, isn't it? I think for the first time, I actually don't really, you know, the, the domestic season, I'm a bit like, meh. Whereas usually I'm gagging for it, but I think that's all to do with what a great World Cup. Best since 98 in my book, but let's ask the boys what they think of it. First of all, fresh off our brilliant last episode where Joel turned into Parky for us uh, as he interviewed David Baddiel. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's a class, class interview. Unfortunately, the sentiment, we couldn't embrace it as much as we wanted to. Football didn't quite come home, although some would say the notion did more than the trophy. Um, But he did a great interview and he's here with us again tonight. He's a social media mogul by day for such classics as the uh, Crystal Maze, of course, at the moment. But by night, he is our Parky, he is our borough expert and he's our Joel Young. Joel, how you doing, buddy? I'm very well, thank you, Ash. I'm, uh, I have felt a bit bereft today. Yeah. Since the, we're doing this on the Monday after the World Cup, and I tweeted out earlier on. I said, like Sky Sports News are trying to get me interested in Manchester United versus Leicester City, like, and I will be interested in three weeks. But I'm, I'm sure we're not interested now. Like that's, you know, one thing for definite. I just, they, they, I've never seen them so happy on Sky Sports yeah. News. We could, people will look, listen to us again. They can listen to us. I know. <laughs> I came... about, uh, Jim White was on about his yellow tie, is it, for oh, crying out loud? Oh, God. That's because it's early this time, isn't it, because of the new ruling. But um, I came to the... Uh, conc- like, I woke up this morning really realisation that the World Cup's over and I've got Steve McLaren to look forward to. So I know you're biased, but in 2018, that's not a good thing. Um, well, you know, it's, it's 14 years ago when he won the Cup for us, so, you <laughs> know, things can change. Oh, and they have, Joe, and they have. Um, joining us, as always, as well, um, by day, he writes for a plethora of outlets, including uh, sports, uh, football whispers and the sportsman as, as well as many others but by night he parties with 90s icons oh yes that's he does mark wright oh he's friends elton wellsby and last night a beardy brian mcclair was partying with our own very fragile <laughs> matthew christ how you doing matthew yeah i wouldn't say it was by night i think we started drinking about uh, half 11 in the morning so uh, <laughs> it was I more by day you ask him about I asked you to ask him about that um, Waterboys t-shirt that he wears in oh, that yeah. Manchester United video. And, you know, he's still, he's still got the look. Before he looked like an art student, and now he looks like uh, somebody who gets brought into an art lesson <laughs> to teach pottery or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it looks it's like a lecturer, isn't it? It's a magnificent beard. It is. Yeah, it's a work of art. Did, did that beard, was that, was that a goatee at the beginning of the session, and by the time you finished, had it grown? <laughs> yeah, I've got one as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, Alan uh, Cork would look at that beard with, Reb, be very beard with Reverend Orr. He would be very jealous, yeah. For our WWE fans, Braun Strowman would be very jealous of that beard. It was very, very impressive. Um yeah, so friend, another friend to add to the to the stringer that you've got now, Matthew. Well, I'd like to think so. I mean, he was he was actually my my ultimate United favourite ever player. Watching United, um, I, I did actually tell him that right at the end of the conversation. I thought I won't, I won't tell him and embarrass him at the beginning, but we 
we just started off drinking and watching the match. We basically just didn't watch the World Cup final together, chatting about it and uh, he, him giving his opinion on VAR. And, uh, Ooh, I, bet he, I, bet he, I bet he's not a fan. No, not no, really. No, I, I no. can imagine that. Yeah, get get on with it. Basically, is his uh, <laughs> his his view on the whole thing. But uh, uh, are you feeling empty he, like me and Joe as well without the World Cup today? Well, I'm feeling empty for different reasons. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's uh, it just became a way of life, didn't it? it for did. a couple of weeks, it was just um, it was just there. That the first signs of it coming to the end are when you stop getting those three games in a day, oh. and then it get, you start getting those rest days. And I was actually looking through my '94. World Cup diary earlier on, and there's there's big blank pages oh. when you we'll get have, to this stage. We'll have a touch of that in a bit, but yeah, yeah. So it's it, it sort of uh, it just tails off, doesn't it? The last the last yeah. week or so, it gets a bit. Um, well, I missed the one. You know, the one o'clock kickoffs. They were just brilliant. You know, me working from home in inverted commas, having it on the side screen. It was perfect, absolutely. perfect. Oh, it's wonderful. It's much better than doctors. <laughs> or, or escape to the country. Oh God, that program infuriates. I know. That's why I mentioned. <laughs> And, and we Wimbledon... ranted about it today on Twitter, but I decided against it. And Wimbledon passed everyone by as well, so there you go. Um, not that it matters to this podcast or anyone else, but it's just it made me laugh. Why would you know Wimbledon? No one even noticed it happened in the end. But that's talk nineteen nineties football, and I think we'll we'll tie a bow on everything World Cup. Um, we've done obviously many World Cup episodes over the last month, as well as this week in the nineties. We had some specials, like I said, Joel brilliantly interviewed uh, David Bedil for our last episode. Yeah, but just apologise to everybody for how quiet it was. Well, to be honest, you know, I've had, I did put a warning in the intro, but no one's actually come back to me, and I've had a lot of feedback from that. Very, all very positive, and no one really said about the sound levels. But uh, it was me. It was me with a microphone plugged into my computer, and then the microphone put up near my phone as loud as it could go on speaker. So I do apologise, everybody. Yeah. So you got me blasting one minute, and now it actually is number one in the charts, which yeah. is a bit much. And now it's a bit, and it's a bit sad now that it's number one in the charts because we're a bit after the event. And I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, arrogance of the song that people have been saying. It's ridiculous. It's listen to the proper lyrics of the song. It, it was all tongue in cheek. Sorry, Croatia. I know you got the ump about it, but listen to the actual lyrics and, and the new ones that will happen in 2022 when football actually does come home in December. Um, right, we're talking... Christmas about... number one. Yeah, Christmas <laughs> number one. Didn't, I think someone tweeted uh, Chris Rears, we're going to be coming home for Christmas, which is just like, for somebody who loves 90s football and loves Christmas, it was kind of an orgasm of those two things coming together. So I'm, I'm all for that. I'm up for covering it if David McGill is up for and, it. And, and, and... from Middlesbrough, Chris Rears. Is he? Yeah. I, I would yeah. know, I've no, no, I know nothing of Chris Rears other than driving did, home Did he not do the... Uh... Cup final Let's song Let's yeah. Is he on that song? Oh, yeah. There you go. I didn't know that. You yeah. so. I learned because that he couldn't actually he couldn't actually be bothered writing a new song for them. So he just said to them, I'll oh, go and do Let's Dance Bob and and yeah, that's where that is. I've only found that out recently, but yeah. Wrote a song about my school, Stainsby Girls, there you go, Chris Freya. Also his family had a set of ice cream parlours all the way around Middlesbrough. You know day. far too much about Chris Rea. Well, no, because you do, because it's people from, like, we've got that Borough thing, who's famous from Middlesbrough, Bob Mortimer, Chubby Brown, Chris Rea, that's probably it. That's quite, that's not many people from quite a big place. Yeah, yeah, big catchment area, no, not really. Well, well, I'm from Plumstead originally, and the only people I can think of are Steve Steve Davis, although he's technically Cholton, and do you remember the girl band Shampoo? They're, I do remember them. Trouble. Oh, I, yeah, oh, we're in trouble. They went to Plumstead Manor School, with the same as my sisters. But, but other than that, I don't know many more people from Plumstead. Joe, Joe is, is Steph McGovern from the BBC Breakfast now? She is from Middlesbrough, yes, she is. Ah, there you go. There you oh, go. Oh, oh, I know, the one with the short hair. Keeping it, 
keeping it yeah. bang up to date. Yeah, yeah. keeping it yeah, borough. Yeah, yeah, you know, you were right. I should have said Steph. Yeah. yeah, keeping it borough. Right, well, let's keep it 90s and go back to 1994. Um, this is a bit of sort of the opposite to what we saw on Sunday, really, wasn't it? Um, one of the best cup World Cup finals I've, I've seen, possibly I've ever seen in my lifetime in terms of entertainment. Um, but this, the complete opposite, 17th of July, 1994. Yes, my favourite World Cup. But the damp squib, that was the final. Brazil, nil. Italy, nil. I watched this earlier and it doesn't get any better. I was hoping there'd be a few chances we could talk about. But I don't know about you boys and what you remember, what you've seen. It really doesn't get better of age, does it, Joe? Italy have one chance. Yeah. Um, Daniele Massaro, mm-hmm. who in the first half has a, I think it's head, isn't it? Very tame. Um, it's a game totally about holding midfielders, which is really, really, you, you know, you expect that out of Italy, expect it to be defensive and, and, and very midfield, you know, try to get a 1-0 and just sit back on that. But also, um, Brazil were playing two holding midfielders as well in uh, Mauro Santos and mm, The Dunga. great Dunga, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you really did put some effort into this research, didn't you? Yeah, mate, Abby, do you want to know what else I found out? You like this. Dunga is the Portuguese translation of Dopey from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, mm. and an uncle called him Dunga, and it stuck even though he got sort of tall and really good at his job. So it's the equivalent of us playing, I don't know, Paul Lynch-type and calling him Dopey. <laughs> well, Dopey won the World the Cup, so better than the governor. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Well, at least you can't give yourself a nickname. No, you we really all know can't. this. No. You can't give yourself a nickname. Dunga didn't give himself that nickname, and he won the World Cup. There's a lesson to be learned. Don't yeah. get your name stitched on your boots. Yeah, that's true. And but... also, don't get don't get filmed or don't get your photo taken wearing the shirt of a side that you have to oh, sign for. Keeping it eighties, though. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like you say, it was very much because it was Dino Baggio, wasn't it? The kind of star of the show for, for Italy as well. He was their kind of holding midfielder as well because they both played 4 4 2. But I mean, they did have Albertini next to him, who was a bit more attacking. Um, but Dino Baggio, the uh, the lesser known of the Baggios, of course, uh, was in Italy's team. But Matthew, this was really, are we being a little bit harsh? Was this more the art of defending from what probably is one of the best defences we've ever seen in a World Cup? Well, I don't think we're being harsh. I mean, like you, I've watched. Uh, watched it back again today through uh, through a rotten hangover. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought I was going to say, oh, you know what? It wasn't as bad as uh, as everyone thought at the time, but it was, wasn't it? It was it was an absolute stinker. I mean, it was just it was just a procession of long balls kicked down the field and then mopped up by the defence and then another long ball and even. Even the penalty shootout was rubbish as well, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> even that could have been the only. It was. Uh, it was it was a terrible game. I was shocked that I looked in my World Cup diary, nineteen ninety four, and I'd given it three stars out of five. Oh well, you know. I don't know what. Well, but... seeing, seeing if you've mentioned it, that let's go back in time and then and see what's happened this week in in Matthew's diaries. I think it's time, and probably for the last time, no, only the second time. Let's play that really long jingle. He's missed it. You out, out, now, go on. What have you done? You're coming here making insinuations about my husband. Again, over his shoulder. Stands staring and shouting as in comes Lineker and scores! England lead by three to two. You betrayed my trust, Carl. You destroyed everything I ever believed in, everything we brought our children up to believe in. You can't, you just cannot walk back in here and expect everything to be the way it was before. Well, cut down. Oh, 
Susan Kennedy, bless her. So go on then, Matthew. What what was happening in your World Cup diaries the week of the final? You gave this three, well, three I gave stars. It, I gave it three, three stars, but then, oh, then, I complete, then I completely contradict myself because I, I put a very poor game by this World Cup standards. Both teams had chances in normal time, did they? Well, Lamar, Lamar only had a half chance, didn't he? Um, that Paluka, a header that Paluka saved, I think I, I saw, yeah. I've noted down. Yeah, anyway. but but there's very few notes um, about the game. Um, I'm just looking through to see. Wet, wet, wet. Still number one. Oh God! In God. the <laughs> in the hit parade, uh, a I man is arrested. arrested. A man is arrested, charged with making hoax phone call about missing girl Abby Humphreys. I don't remember that. I don't remember that one. That. I'm just looking through to see. See, I've got blank days here because there's. I obviously, if there wasn't a match, John, I didn't, didn't do. Uh, I didn't do a report. Did you? Nothing to talk about. Yeah. No, you kept it football, to, didn't you? I went to the races and oh, had a what? had a four to one winner on Red Earth. Okay. Um, I'm just looking to see. Oh, uh, Des Barnes leaves Coronation Street. Oh, oh there you go. Really? keeping it keeping it Middlesbrough. Did we Dark day. Hartley Pool. Oh yeah, Hartley Pool. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so that's about it, really. It's just this this diary just tends to tail off, really. I mean, well, at the beginning, it's like this whole thing, you know, they start us off in World Cups, and as we've just seen now, they start us off with like thick and fast games every day, two, three, four games, a couple of days, at least one day in this uh, in this World Cup, and then it's like they get you hooked like heroin, and then they have to try to withdraw you slowly so you have a day without a game, and you're a bit like, oh, what's going on? And then at the semis, there was two days without a game or three days without a meaningful game. You know, and I don't know it was England in the third place playoff, but, you know, I was driving a car back from Middlesbrough and I wasn't particularly bothered about missing it. So, yeah, it is. so things do sort of tail off a bit. Yeah. When you start well, you... twitchy and deal with your World Cup addiction, it's, it's really wrong. Have you got yeah, your you... Um, 1990 diary there, Matthew? Um, I... I could find it for you. Well, yeah. I know it's not the same week, but what was happening in the fight, like you know, the final week, the World Cup final? Because we, you know, we've got a jingle. We should abuse these diaries as much as we should. But um, remember, the 1991 wasn't as entertaining because I was only 12. So basically, <laughs> you I hadn't put any bets I, on. I well, I was putting plenty of bets on, but my, well, my dad was putting them on for me because um, I couldn't. But there's no, uh, I hadn't started drinking then, believe it or not. Um, not so on this session anyway. <laughs> See, uh, Sunday, 8th of July, West Germany won Argentina oh, nil. And I've put, people said it was a terrible game with lots of fouling and foul play. You but was. I enjoyed But mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed <laughs> Does that it say because, more about what you appreciate in football? Yeah. No, 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 let me finish. But I enjoyed it because I won £30. There we ah. go, that's the important factor. <laughs> It was the uh, it was the school sweepstake. I was in the second year of, of secondary school and the, the lad down the road was in the sixth form and they had a, a sweepstake and uh, they let me enter it. And uh, I think it was a fiver in each or whatever, a couple of quid. And I pulled out West Germany and they must have been cursing me. Some <laughs> pe- pesky 12-year-old winning and the... And I was uh, still, they just wouldn't have given me it. Well, like, no, Joe, we're not having that. We're just going to keep. This. That's I've actually still in this diary. I've actually still got the winner, uh, the winning envelope. Wow! And, uh, I'll take a picture of it now. I'll put it up there. <laughs> should, so, should be put in a, in a museum. Sort of yeah, the AK nineties museum. When we've got that built, when we when our you know empire is even grown even further, we'll we'll put that in there. But um, yeah, good good stuff there. Um, let's go back then, just quickly a little bit. 
about uh, again about this game. It obviously went to penalty shootouts. We have the the lasting image, probably one of the most iconic images of the of the uh, whole decade, let alone this World Cup, with Roberto Baggio uh, missing the the decisive penalty. I mean, Italy missed three penalties in this, which people seem to forget. Baresi and Masano also missed, as well as Marcelo Santos for Brazil. It wasn't the best, as uh, Matthew said earlier, wasn't the best penalty shootout, but it did see Brazil win their fourth World Cup, which they dedicated to Ayrton Senna, who um, died at the Grand Prix in San Marino uh, two months. Earlier, um, the... I'll tell you who uh, you just mentioned who didn't score in that penalty shootout, Ash. Mm. But I'll tell you who did score in that penalty shootout. Oh, go on, here's your barrel link. Go on. That would be uh, old Fatty Branco. Yeah. <laughs> He was the size of a house when he came to Borough. Yeah, he it, it's, not, it's not one to shout about, was he? <laughs> he was just signed just to sort of give Juninho company, which... And then when things got desperate, he ended up getting his game, which, I mean, considering he had... I can't remember. Didn't he left back? Um, so he had, what, Chris Morris and Curtis Fleming in front of him, and something must have happened for them too, for Branco to be getting his game. And, yeah, to say the lad was unfit was uh, probably a bit of an understatement, really. But, you know, I mean, it was only two years late, two years yeah, after this. Yeah, I know. Well, Vastly different, vastly different. Um, Dopey mm-hmm. scored in that um, uh, shootout as well as um, Romario, did, yeah. who, scored, who was the uh, the player, the golden ball winner of that tournament. Um, the manager... Another bit of information that we got that um, Franco Baresi came the first, became the one of only the sixth man in history to be, to come first, second, and third at the World Cup. Uh, yeah, that's true. Because ninety, yeah, ninety ninety. Because of course the, the third place playoff, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. Uh-huh. That's a good start. Um, I've got a little quote from Carlos Alberto Prada, who was the winning manager, who a lot of sceptic at him and some of his tactics and his style of play. He said, although most of the Brazilians and international press were always criticising my philosophy, I say, I stuck my, by my ideas and my principles. He said afterwards, it feels great because like Frank Sinatra in that song, I did it my way, which is quite a nice, beautiful way to, to end his sort of legs. He also came back and managed um, Brazil again, didn't he, for a second stint. But it's a shame. I always say I love that World Cup and it's remembered for such a really drab do you, and dire final. Do you and that. Uh, I had a five on Italy to win it as well. Oh, so, so, that, so what I won in 1990, you know, with one hand, I gave away, gave away four years later. Yeah. Joe, well, do, do I what? Well, it, it, I just think this is kind of a reasonable question. Sorry, Dave Batista's just turned up on my television set in an advert for something. It's some new in film, a, isn't it? Yeah, some sort not, of thriller. Jodie Foster. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's distracted me, sorry. Go on, Big Dave. Um, He's just he's just done a film well a couple of years ago with a friend of mine and this does have a football link and a Middlesbrough link a film that my wrote that Dave Batista is in with Piers Brosnan that the film that West Ham's old ground at uh, um, Park and that's coming on Sky it might be on Sky now I can't remember what it's called but no, anyway he's, he's doing all right for himself old Baps doing so, all right yeah. isn't he, Dave? Mm. Now, do we think that this nil nil because it was a terrible game and we've gone back and we've agreed it's a terrible game now the whole point of the World Cup in '94 was to get football over in America. And do we think that it kind of doesn't matter about the rest of the games? There would have been a huge audience going in for that final and they've watched it and it's been a terrible game. Do you think that that has kind of... Do you think that final probably did more harm than good than the rest of the competition did? Possibly. I mean, there was, what was it, 94,000 people in that? I uh, think. In the Pasadena Rose Bowl. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think it's still a record for a final. So, yeah, it wasn't great. And we mentioned this before, didn't we, on our World Cup um, podcast where we decided which one was the best. It was definitely... 
it, it stagnated, didn't it, in terms of where football went in uh, in America and probably didn't help this final because they were all about goals, 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 weren't they? They wanted to make bigger goals. They wanted the penalties from the halfway line. They don't like goalless draws. So, yeah, it probably wasn't the best advert for, hey, let's start a league. Let's, pro- let's do this properly. And then they saw this drab final. But, yeah, it's not good. So, yeah, but... That's Tyre Bow on um, 94, um, and probably the World Cup. We probably won't go back to the World Cup. We might bring out the diaries just because we like the jingle and we like to see what's been going on in Neighbours and stuff. But, um, yeah, we will be talking now domestic matters. We'll be talking about domestic matters when we come back here on Alive and Kicking. This is Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, and you're listening to This Week in the 90s. Okay, let's, let's go domestic. I feel like I've been out of the domestic game for far too long now. Um, it's been a bit weird. Uh, we're getting back to it now. Um, we're going back to this, the 17th of July once again, but we're going to 1998. This is a kind of a subject we've never really discussed, which is quite rare now. Oh, we've, we've covered so much ground here on both on This Week in the 90s and on our standard podcast show. So let's talk about Liverpool and let's talk about joint managers. The notion of joint managers, which is probably in 2018, um, apart from a couple of very rare cases, is just sort of abnormal. But in the 90s, it was a, a, a semi-thing that happened quite a lot um, over the over the decade. But this was probably the most high-profile one. So Roy Evans was in charge of Liverpool from 1994. Four years where they won the League Cup in 95, but never really kicked on properly they lost they lost the cup final in 96 and the spice boy sort of phenomenon took over and there was a you know a rumored lack of discipline within the squad and Roy Evans being kind of a sort of an an uncle type figure there were worries about him and whether he could really get this young squad into action so they brought in Gerard Houllier who um, spent a year teaching Liverpool during his uh, his earlier years so he knew that they knew the city he could talk the language he obviously he was a French man so they took heed from Arsenal and what had had gone on there with Arsene Wenger and but instead of putting him on the coaching team they made them joint managers in 1998. Um, Matthew joint managers you're a man who lives in Liverpool now I mean this is obviously a weird thing that happened in the 90s how is it seen in Liverpool what would you remember at the time very odd notion wasn't it yeah I think I mean you'd probably be best asking a, a Liverpool <laughs> but I think um, I think it was very much a case of Roy Evans had his, his nose put out of joint I can't help feeling sorry for him because it was almost like Julio was parachuted in as this professor of football and uh, rather than them saying sorry Roy we're going to replace you they basically put him alongside uh, Julio and uh, I don't think it was a popular decision with him at all and uh, he obviously only lasted I think he resigned that November yeah. um, whether he was he jumped or was pushed what, what have you I can't help feeling sorry for him because I've, I've met Roy Evans he's a lovely bloke and everyone around here can't speak highly enough of him but I think it was a, I think it was a bit of a bad move PR wise um, I can see why Liverpool opted for Julio I mean at the t- I actually wrote an article about this that was published today and oh, um, timing like yeah, well, I thought you might have read it. Reading off, reading off all that information there, um, but um, yeah, he was a he was a sort of professor of football, wasn't he? he was a he was a te- he wanted to be a teacher, but he dropped yeah. out of college when his dad was ill and uh, took over a, a local third division team in near Calais, took them up, and then he ended up at PSG, and then he became Platini's assistant at France, and then he was the French manager, and he, he was just looked upon as a sort of a bit of a revolutionary character in the game, and, and like you say, Liverpool were. Um, I think they were listing a bit around this time, the Spice Boys thing. There was a lack of, uh, a perceived lack of discipline at the club. I think there was a bit of a drinking culture and um, they hadn't won a lot. They were, you know, they were still on the back of the 
being the great Liverpool team that had last won the league in, in 1990. So it was, it was only a few years after that. But I think the club were desperate to uh, just just freshen things up. And uh, Julio was their man. And in fairness, I think he was uh, I think he was the right, the right right fellow at the time. Um, he obviously won them that A treble, not the treble, but A cup <laughs> treble of. Uh, in 2001, and he he, he he shook things up, really, and he um, he got rid of a lot of deadwood. He got rid of a lot, a lot of players. McManaman left um, on free. David James, Paul Ince, all those kind of players cleared out, and uh, and Julio did it his way. And, um, yeah, I'm surprised it didn't work out for the better in the long run. He uh, Obviously, that 2001 treble was the, was the highlight of his of his spell there. And then um, I think I think a few fans got on his back. For this. He was seen as a... His style of football was seen as being a bit negative and a bit dull. Um, I think he was quite methodical in what he did. Um, and as we know in football, uh, um, fans can turn very easily. And um, and they did. And he left in 2003. Yeah, yeah, was I think it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you as a Borough fan, Joel, you kind of had this later on, didn't you, with Venables and Robson? I mean, it, it's a very odd way to go around. I think it was slightly different Borough because it was more for help with Brian, wasn't it? More than, yeah, yeah. More than joint managers, as this was kind of seen. But it's just an icky situation where who do players go to? Two ethos going into one team. It's never really worked, has it? What it, what it told us with, with Borough when it happened with us, and I'm sure this was probably a similar case with Roy Evans, is that there was no way back for Brian Robson, regardless of what happened if Borough stayed up, if they went down. It really was never going to be Brian Robson's side again, and I suspect a sort of similar thing happened at Newcastle. In the, you know, No matter what the intentions are behind it, and I'm sure that Liverpool's intentions were good, because he'd been there for 33 years, yeah, I think. Well, I was going to say this, yeah. he was part of the boot room. He wasn't just a, a, you know, a manager that had come off recently on the scene. He was a legend yeah, at the club. Probably, I think if he hadn't have had that loyalty and that tenure with Liverpool, then he'd have probably just been out of the dawn that have made a straight swap, but they were always quite good at sort of installing their own people and maybe they were thinking that it, you know he could they could go back to it at one point once he'd had a bit of a helping hand but I think once you've been undermined in that fashion and uh, you know with Borough I, Robson wasn't undermined because it was sort of his idea but there's certainly no coming back for it I think and it, and it does just cause confusion you know I, I, I don't know sort of I think it, I think it's a good idea and sort of loyalty that's gone a bit wrong and I, I Certainly, a club of Liverpool side size, you wouldn't see that happening at all. Now you just they'd just be ruthless about it, and I think that's what it's sort of showed at the time is that they weren't perhaps as ruthless as they should have been on and off the pitch. Mm, no, I think I, I agree with you. I mean, it did start off quite well. They got they won their first three games, but then apparently, allegedly, they hasn't said which side was on which, but there was a row over uh, Carhan's Riedler during the West Ham game and whether he should start. Uh, one manager wanted him to start, one said he shouldn't. In the end, he didn't. He came on as sub in that game, did score, but they lost, and that kind of apparently was the sort of uh, kick on from that um, that started the discontent between the two managers, and it never really happened. And like you say, Roy Evans was always going to be the loser in this because Hulier came in, this you know, French manager who was before he was part of the, the uh, set-up that didn't qualify for 94. Um, he, he's seen as this new wave of, of manager that was coming through. Roy Evans had kind of lost the dressing room, you could say. Um, so, yeah, it was always going to be the full guy. And it lasted till November. It was 18 matches into the season. They only won seven of them. Uh, the final coming into uh, a 3-1 loss to Spurs in the League Cup was the final game that the two managers were in charge of. And they'd already I been... think... 
I think what else happened is what they were getting like twenty one, twenty two thousand for a game yep. against Leeds, yep. twenty one thousand for a game against the game against Tottenham. I think the one you're talking about, and that is a real issue for a, for a club like Liverpool. That, when yeah, well, I was going to say that when a, when a club like Liverpool and, and you know, it happened with United in the early years of, of Fergie when when they always say when gates start to drop, uh, the, the warning signs go. And I'm, I don't know if you remember the same thing happened with um, Roy Evans when he was at Liverpool. They were getting. I can't remember whether it was a league game or a cup game, but they, uh, I think they got 30, 30-something thousand for one of their games and they just said, you know, we knew that that was, it was time to make a make a decision there. I don't, think that's, just, I don't think that's just the big clubs. I mean, I remember alarm bells started ringing at our place when Southgate was only pulling in 15,000. And, yeah. you know, I just think whenever, you, there is a certain point at every club that sort of, regardless of what the... Um, you know the management of the club. You know the chairman and the, and the board and everything else. Regardless of sort of what they think, if you're paying customers, are paying you with their fee. And you know we've seen a bit of that at Arsenal as well last season, where people, yeah. you, know, you know, the club had already got the tickets. But when and, you and it's a shock. It's, it's, it's a shock these days. I mean, when I mean, I remember what, um, in the first few years of the Ferguson era, um, it was at ACA '89. United were getting twenty-three thousand against Wimbledon, twenty-seven thousand against Everton, which is shocking. But in a way, back then. Grounds weren't always sold out like they are now, so it wasn't as it wasn't as shocking. But when you do see things like the um, the Emirates at the end of last season, it's a real shock to see a Premier League game with so many empty seats. It's just you get you get so used especially to it. for a, especially for a massive club like Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, as you say, and there's Liverpool as well. So yeah, the writing was on the wall for Roy Evans in the end. He he resigned in the November, but much said that he was pushed. Um, they haven't really ever talked about it properly. I mean, we had Roy Evans on the show very very early on uh, when we first talked about that famous four uh, three game for Liverpool. So and he he kind of touched on it then, but didn't really go into details. But I did find a tweet from him um, that, where somebody asked him about it uh, and if he'd still if he got on with Hulia in, in in the modern day. And he said, I wouldn't say mates, but we get on. Let bygones be bygones. So maybe you know he's kind of well. I think that's very that's very much him. Yeah, my, my experience. I mean, I think he's a very fair. Yeah, when we had him on, I remember fair he was one of the best. You know, when we first started this show, he was very very welcoming. Very, I thought he might not come on the show, but he was great to interview. Go back in the archives, way back, and listen to it. But it's still a really good interview. Um, I've got four other pairings who were joint man- managers in the nineties. Can either of you recall who these pairings were? Well, you say nineties, so yeah. See, I was I, I was thinking off the top of my head. I remember Coventry having yeah. John Sillett and John Curtis, but that was eighties. Yeah. I did come Shel- across that one. Shelton had, didn't they have Steve, Steve Gritt and Curvishley? Yeah, in they from, 90, from 91 to 95. That is probably the most, the one I, I mean, I grew up around Shelton, so it's the one that always sticks yeah. with me. Um, it kind of worked um, for them. So there's three others. Joe, do you remember any others in the 90s? I, I, I can just remember former Borough man Colin Todd. Was he with yeah. Brian McFarlane? At Bolton, yeah, in 95, 96. Yeah. 95, yeah, sorry, you got the year wrong. But yeah. yeah, he would be, they would be the only ones I can remember. It doesn't, ever particularly work out no, does it, it doesn't. But, um, I think I think Charlton is the best example because they did do it for more than one season the other two are Doug Livermore and Ray Clements at Spurs who did it for a few months at the beginning of the 92-93 season before um, Ozzy Adilis was appointed manager uh, and then lastly which is kind of close to home to me because my in-laws are Millwall fans Keith Stevens and Alan McCleary from 1998 and 2000 old rhino uh, Keith Stevens. I think it did okay there as well, but I think this was such a high-profile job at a high-profile club. I don't think it ever was ever going to last very long, and in the end, it only lasted 18 matches before. But, but go on. Going to go back to keeping it 80s. John Sullivan <laughs> and George Curtis at Coventry City. That's what I said. Yeah, oh, yeah, they, won, won, 
Yeah, yeah, but uh, I was going to say they were they were that, that was quite a long term. That was quite a long term. I seem to remember they must have been joint managers for a good three or four years, weren't they? It wasn't just a one-off. I don't um, think. A couple of years, they, they, they were appointed at the end of the previous city when they just kept City in the first division, but then Curtis left in the summer, so he, so they had a season of it. Yeah, eighty-six. Was that, was that, yeah. Oh, so it was just that season. It was just that they season. Yeah. I'm um, just thinking, bring it bang up to date. Were the Lincoln manager were they joint managers? The guys that took Lincoln to the FA Cup. I think, yeah, they were, and I think Salford, because there was that Salford, documentary, yeah, the, wasn't there, on yeah. um, the, the, the club, whereas all the, the class of 92 took them over. I think those guys were joint as well. It, um, it seems to be popular in the lower divisions. I wonder whether you just don't get the sort of ego that you do, egos that you do. And you know, I suppose you don't, you don't get the media side to a certain extent as well, do you? You don't have to deal with that as well, um, whereas now you, you've got so much to the media side of it where you who would do what and yeah it's lower down it, it, there isn't that case um barnet did it in 2012 and st Albans city as well in 2012 salford city as well i think yeah so we, yeah we just yeah. mentioned yeah yeah you uh who's the hungover one here yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm not listening i'm just trying to i'm just trying to find other things quick and i'm not particularly listening i do apologize uh, right, so i think but i think that we're yeah i think that's as many as someone will put on twitter we, we've forgotten but i think yeah i think the most high profile one is obviously liverpool and then yeah it didn't work out um, finally then, our final subject. This is very niche, which I love on, on talking about on 90s football. The niche of the better for me. And I don't think it's a word I've ever said on this podcast before. And it's one I've delved into a little bit this, this afternoon. And I didn't realise some of the, the, the history behind the Intertoto Cup. That famous trophy. We thought the Zenith Data Systems Cup was a bit niche. The Intertoto Cup, which in its essence in the 90s, which was brought back in 1995, was a kind of back route into Europe for clubs who hadn't managed it in the Cup Winners' Cup, UEFA Cup, or in, winning the league, or coming second as it was to be later in that decade. And it was a competition that started pretty much as soon as the other season finished, it was sort of mid-June. And in the end, it went to the two finalists got a backdoor into Europe. It was kind of frowned upon by most Premier League managers. Um, a lot of them turned it down in the instance. Um, but the backstory is quite interesting. I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Matthew, but I don't know if you've ever covered this because the backstory to it is it's something I, I, I know. Really I, is. I will do now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You oh, pitch this story. Tomorrow. No, it's always. It's, I didn't really realise because it. I mean, the, the term intertoto actually comes. It's, it's a bet. It's a betting. It's thing. a betting it's thing. A pools. Yeah, yeah, it's a German. Yeah, it's the German word for the football pools, and it was. Yeah. It, it was something that happened um, in the sixties that they. This competition was happened pre-season, and it was all based around football pools and football betting, which is why UEFA didn't want to sanction it under their guys. They let it happen. Um, but they didn't want to make an official UEFA tournament and in, not until 1995 where they took it on and restructured it and it became this Intertoto Cup. But I didn't realise it went far back into to the 60s and was actually a competition for a long, long time before. Yeah, I think it's quite well respected in certain countries as well, you know, because here obviously people didn't want anything to do with it and it was a bit of a laughing stop. But I think I've read that in maybe Italy or Germany or uh, wherever it originated, um, it was it, it's actually quite a respected competition, but it just obviously was mocked. Uh, here when English clubs were, were thrown into it or yeah. got into I'm not sure how they it was usually somebody would win a fair play league and that's how they'd get in there it was, some it was a fair play convoluted and, way wasn't it? And, and a league position so if you finished quite yeah. low, like I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head in terms of who won what in the um, the placings but it was a league placing as well but a lot of the English teams turned it down they then made a mockery of it but um, the first so the first season was 1995 and the, the reason I picked this season out because it's kind of an a, a semi-interesting story, I could say. It piqued my interest, but I'm a, I'm a geek of 90s football. So on the 22nd of July, 1995, 
Tottenham took part. So they were part of this Intertoto Cup. Somehow they, the FA managed to, to convince uh, Sheffield Wednesday, Wimbledon Spurs, Partick Thistle were also in this first tournament um, to, to join it. Um, and Spurs didn't take it seriously. Uh, Wimbledon didn't take it seriously. Sheffield Wednesday kind of did. They won a few games. They played some senior pros like Chris Bart Williams and Chris Waddle, people like that. But Tottenham played Cologne and lost 8-0, <laughs> which is still one of their record defeats as well. So it, it, it's, Apparently, according to what I'm reading just now, it is their all-time record defeat. Yeah, which which makes it quite, uh, an uh, quite a relevant stat then. Uh, but what my, what piqued my interest on the Inter-Toto Cup this year, so Spurs were actually, and Wimbledon, were actually banned from UEFA competitions for one season after fielding uh, sort of 11s that were uneven. Um, do you want to know? Do you want to know why? Because is this because they played Alan Pardew? Yeah, which is I know, which is a brilliant thing. So they played a youthful Stephen Carr, some sort of past it players, including ex Barnet defender Mark Newson, and a thirty-three-year-old Alan Pardew who had just been released by Chelsea and was about to sign for Barnet. How random is that? Alan Pardew playing for Tottenham in the Inter Toto Cup. I mean, do you do you remember this game? Because I really didn't until you brought it up. I haven't got any recollection of it at all. I, I, I it... remember the notion of Alan Pardew playing for Tottenham. I couldn't remember in, <laughs> in what context it happened. Um, and then I, I will quote the book that it's from. Um, it's the brilliant Match of the Day three six five from Steve Wilson, which is I use quite a lot. Um, to, for some historical background on things. It's in that book on the 22nd July. It's a, it's a brilliant book. It goes day by day, um, just what happened in football over the years, um, often used for so we can fact-check and things like that. That's where it came to us, or Spurs losing 8-0 to Cologne, because it's a game that I've never remembered. It's um, it's on YouTube, so expect us to, to tweet it on the 22nd of July. Look out for that. Um, so, yeah, this is the notion of the... Inter I mean, the Intertoto Cup... I can't even say it now. The Intertoto Cup, Joel. Bizarre. Talk to me. I just uh, yeah, just very. That was the thing is that we absolutely found it a laughing stock in this country because even even if you didn't it didn't it go to three groups and then the winner of each sort of separate competition within the thing then got an yeah. entry into the first round of the UEFA Cup. The first qualifying like, round, I think. I think yeah. it, I think as it went on, it changed. I mean, this first instance, the 1995 tournament we're talking about, there's 12 groups. Yeah, that's <laughs> ludicrous. It's and 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 the, and the English league will we have had would we have had twenty two yeah, teams in the Premier League then I think it changed to ninety five yeah and it's, so, it would have gone to twenty at that point yeah so came off a forty two game season and your two cups and if you're in Europe just who wants to know you want to chill out and and the next summer you've got Euro ninety six coming up so you're just not going to want to know about that whatsoever and you know fair play for anybody I wonder who did the best in the you know in terms of Intertoto Cup and um, European I can tell games. you. I can tell Go you who did the best in the Intertoto Cup. The, the record holder for many to enter that is Stuttgart. They've won three times. Okay, yeah, but did, I mean, how far did they go in competition? I wonder oh, if I anybody, don't know that stat, no. I haven't got I that to if hand. Anybody, I wonder if anybody qualifying from the UEFA Cup went on to like a final or a semi or anything sort of... Just the, 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 they could hold up and go, you know, oh, yeah, that was the success because... Hamburg or whoever, and I'm yeah. just plucking the name out of the top of my head. If somebody could say, "Oh yeah, yeah, they did really well in it though that year," and there doesn't seem to be that, certainly not in this country. I, no. always, I, I do always remember Wimbledon in it, and you kind of think, "Well, if Wimbledon aren't bothered about it, then who the hell's going to be bothered about it?" Ever? Is it is it still going? No, 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 no. no. It's uh, I remember I did 2008. It was abolished. Oh, so, right. oh, okay. 2008, it yeah. went on that long. Yeah, so yeah, so it's been gone for ten years, but yeah, it went on for almost well, 
over 10 years, yeah, nearly 13 years. So, so the English clubs just say enough's enough and we, we don't so. want to be involved yeah. with us. I mean, I, I think the only club I can remember, quite, and this is coming from the back of my brain, not from something I've researched, but West Ham did kind of, didn't they win it or get to the final one year? Something like that. Happened, in the early yeah. 2000s, I think West Ham did quite well in, in one of the tournaments, but it's such a ludicrous notion. Um, the 1999, so it counts, UEFA Total Cup Finals were won by Montpellier, Juventus. Wow. And West Ham United. There you All go. three things advanced to the UEFA Cup. Well, there you go. How I mean, can three teams win it? Yeah, because it went into three groups, didn't it? Because that yeah, was the thing. It, it was split it, it up branched off. And then, yeah, and then so three, your three winners of each section uh, got, got through. Yeah, I did remember that sort of weird thing of it, but yeah. I mean, the, the game I'm looking at, this is the 1995 version, so the first year of it. So the first game was on the 24th of June. So oh, well, that's gosh. literally weeks, or maybe a month, maybe after the, the previous, I didn't check what date the previous season ended. Um, and that was, I mean, you know, big giants like Ahaios GF from Denmark, I'm butchering this pronunciation and Gornik Zabrier from Poland um, Spurs first game was against Lushen from Switzerland they lost 2-0 um, they did win one game um, they, they beat Rudyard Vingini of Slovakia uh, my flags are letting me down then yeah Slovenia I thought it was Slovenia um, who scored these like someone called Sampson Ian Sampson scored for Tottenham. He was on loan from Northampton. Oh, God. <laughs> and John Hendry. So there's some names that, you know, some big illustrious names from Tottenham's John past. John Hendry? Not the... Not John Hendry. No, 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 not that John Hendry. No, this was one who played for Dundee, Forfa. He was on a loan at Cheltenham, Motherwell. No one of note. Um, get, him, get him on the show. Get, yeah, he'll probably be on the show. Get him probably. on, ring him up. Jerry McMahon. I think he might have played for a few games for Tottenham. He's a name that I kind of remember. Um, so yeah, I'm just looking at Sheffield Wednesday's results for that season as well. Where are they? Um, let's see who scored for them. Mark Bright. So yeah, I mean Sheffield Wednesday had a, they did sort of uh, Chris Waddle actually scored in one of the games. So they actually put out a full strength team. Um, West Ham won one in '99. Villa won one in 2001. Fulham in 2002. And oh, yeah. Newcastle United 2006. Yeah. So I mean, it was—I mean, it was a backdoor into Europe, and if you were going to go for it, you might as well do it and, and make a fist of it. Because if you didn't qualify for Europe that way, I suppose it, I can see it. It's just—it started so early, didn't it? In in the season, it was never really deemed possible. By the time you're in the whatever qualifying, you've already played like six, seven games. It's, but then there's their argument to say that it's a better way to do pre-season. I don't know. QPR beat Staines Town seven 0 the weekend. That you saw that ridiculous result, Everton twenty-two nil or something. Twenty-two nil yeah. over the weekend. So I don't know. There may be an argument to say that it was worth it in terms of competitive football going into the season. Again, I haven't got the stats in front of me to say if that worked for West Ham in ninety-nine, two thousand or not. Um, you'd have to, I'd have to go back and look at that season for West Ham. But I remember them. I think I could, was that the feeler kit with Dr. Martins on it. I'm pretty sure that was the season they were. Um, Dr. 99, yeah, yeah. Joe Cole was still playing for him, I think. Yeah, that's, that's... and was Lampard still there that time? I think, he, oh, yeah, he, he went. He it, went it. in the summer of. I think he might have gone that summer actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, they finished ninth that season, West Ham. So I mean, that's not the you know the worst um, finish really for 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 a club of West Ham's standing, especially in that point. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, the Intertoto Cup. I mean, that was very niche. Anything else to say on that, Matthew? The Intertoto Cup. You're going to be researching that for a new article. Aren't you? Uh, yeah, that's why I've gone quiet. I'm just making some notes. <laughs> um, Coming no, to no, a computer near you, Matthew Chris <laughs> on the Intertoto Cup. It, it is. It is interesting. Like Joel said, it'd be interesting to know if anyone ever won it and then went on and won the UEFA Cup or got to the final. Or you know, because it's uh, that would definitely make it. Run. 
could definitely make it worthwhile if that was the case. But um, like we said, it was obviously started early because that was the whole point. They, yeah. they, they created the tournament, so there was football on in the summer to, for people to bet on. Um, so they obviously got their priorities right. Yeah, that's, um, West Ham got to the second round that season that they won it. So, I mean, I don't know if that was worth it. but And they had their lowest attendance of the season against Herevine in um, in an Intertoto Cup match on the 20th of July. Just looking at their season stats. But yeah, so I don't know if that was worth it for them or not. It was, it was their, sh- it was the shortest close season in the club's history. Sixty-two days before their last game of the season, before they played Jokerit of Finland. Yeah, so there you go. The Intertoto Cup. Didn't think we'd go into so much detail about that, but I enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed this show as well. Um, before we go and uh, go for another week, we've got uh, a little little shindig this week, haven't we? Um, that we're doing. Um, if you're about in London on Friday, which is the twentieth of July. Myself, Joel and Matthew will be at the Golazzo Bar, which is in Camberwell. Brand new bar that's opened. It's themed around uh, football, Italian football in the 1990s. They're doing a, a sort of launch night on Friday. I think tickets are still available. Um, if you go to designmynight.com and Google Golazzo or just go to their Twitter feed at Golazzo London and all the details on there. We're doing a live show. Um, we're hoping to record it. I'm not going to confirm that yet, so you'll be able to hear what happens but um we're trying to work out the details of that but uh, if you're if you are around and fancy a bit of nostalgia we'll all be there we've got a special guest in tony dorigo who's been on the show before he's a great guest but we'll be talking to him specifically about italian 90 and all the ins and outs of that which is quite nice seeing as we're all kind of high on england after the exploits in russia um we've also got simon hart author on joining us as well he's just done a great book called world in motion on the 1990 world cup as well there's a second half where we'll be probably at the bar at that point having down I'll, be drunk. Yeah, I'll be drunk yeah joe will be drunk matthew will be on the way and i'll be sort of relieved that that bit of the night is over but the guys from gentleman ultra check them out on twitter at gentleman ultra um they are doing a q a with tony and as well as mark hately and i promise to button my lip and not mention anything about his fateful stint at qpr i'm sure they'll be talking mainly about his days well, at ac it- milan Sid's going to turn up, so he'll be full of the joys of spring that Mike, Mark Haley... Yeah, there. he loves a bit of Mark Haley. He tried to get him in every team we ever do on here, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're looking forward to it, boys? Yeah, absolutely. Well, not the way I'm feeling today, but come Friday, <laughs> I think I'll be uh, I'll be right back on. Yeah, we might need a late fitness test for Matthew, but I'm sure he'll be there full of beans. Um, I'm, bl- I'm blaming research, drinking with Brian McClare, purely for research purposes. That's I understand. Fine. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right, if he comes on the show, sir, we'll allow it. Um, also, he should be on a beard podcast. I can't get over how brilliant his beard is. Um, but yeah, well, hopefully we'll see you all down there if you uh, if you fancy it, because I'm sure it'll be a great night. If you can't make Friday, make sure you give the bar a, a look, because I'm sure it's... Uh, I haven't been actually able to visit the venue myself yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. But it's got sort of all the memorabilia on the walls. It shows football, uh, football Italia all day, all long. It's got a panini stickers in the bathroom. It plays Nessa Dorma all day, so we probably won't be quite sick of that song. Come, no, I'll never be sick of that song um, come Friday night. But yeah, it should be a good old riot of a time. Um, so we'll be, all be there, the whole AK90s crew. Follow us, I'm sure I'll be tweeting on the night as well, at AK90s um, and myself at Ash Rose UK. And the boys, Joel, where can people find you on the Twitters? Everything is at Joel Baby Herc. Uh, not much in the way of Top the Pops, but we finally said goodbye to 1985, which I'm elated at. <laughs> Best year in pop. We're into 1986 now, so it's all right. It's getting it's right. going to get all right, I think. The year my, my wife was born. What, what an amazing year. She's not listening. I think, I don't I think me, and you, me and you will be brawling on Friday, Joel, about 
1985 pop music. I still think I still think it's the greatest year in pop. Oh, the number ones are dreadful. Go and look at that list. The number ones from 1985. It's quite terrible. Well, there's, there's there's a reason to come as well. You can listen to them brawling. Matthew, where can people find you on <laughs> on, on the Twitters? You can uh, see pictures of me and a big bearded Brian McClare. <laughs> do uh, it at, at Matthew J Christ. Exactly. That's what you want I to can't, do. I can't. Like, I just want to make sure everybody listening knows. I, we, none of us are underestimating or underselling Brian Clare's beard. I mean, this thing is absolutely insane. It's, it's, a, it's Brian Blessed looks at it with envy. Yeah, it's, it's the colour as well. It's a very nice shade. It reminds my. I've got a miniature schnauzer dog, and he's very. He's he, well, it's called Salt and Pepper. But the grey is very gradient. It's very. It's just. It's a work of art. Check out Matthew's Twitter feed just to see Brian McClare in all his glory, and check us out online at AK Nineties. Share, subscribe, rate, all that usual gumph, and follow us at the Twitter feed and if you come in friday night we'll see you then i'll say hello you know drop us a, a, a 90s little tweet to tell us that you're coming because we'd love to chat a bit of 90s with you or some 80s pop if you bump into joel or matthew as well i'll be missing top of the pops for this you know well there you go that's how good of a night it's going to be joel is missing top of the pops to be there so there you go um i'm sure you lot can miss love island for it as well for anyone who's watching that nonsense um because there's no world cup on what do we do i'm sure we'll find a reason how about listen to the show and and rate it on iTunes and subscribe and all that nonsense I just said. But I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. Until next time, keep it 90s. <laughs>